Enticing global talent around the globe is a delicate balance between the company's approach to staffing and the leader's clear understanding of where he or she fits within the staffing philosophy. People move companies forward, not machines. Generally, there are three methods for outsourcing employees for global assignments. At times, all three methods may be used by global organizations. The most commonly used depends on the company's international staffing philosophy and the company's top management leadership methodology based on their expansion needs. In addition, as the company grows and changes, the more they will need to go back to their staffing policies and approaches to tweak and adjust how they develop their leaders, especially when it comes to obtaining a diverse and inclusive gender-balanced workforce. In today's podcast, I will describe the three global staffing approaches that many global organizations use, which are parent country nationals, host country nationals, and third country nationals. I will also provide some advantages and disadvantages of using them and will conclude with why it is crucial for today's companies to look at all three when implementing a more diverse and inclusive workforce. The first one is parent country nationals. These are citizens of the country in which the organization is headquartered and are usually referred to as expatriates. For example, an American manager representing an American company in Chile would be considered an expatriate or parent country national. Organizations that rely on parent country nationals for overseas positions are following an ethnocentric staffing approach. This staffing strategy tends to be utilized when overseas ventures have little autonomy and when strategic decisions are made at headquarters. Companies use this approach in the early stages of globalization and when they are trying to establish a new business or install new products overseas where prior experience is critical. Employing this approach means the parent company will attempt to achieve control over foreign operations by utilizing expatriates and technical staff to transfer its reporting and operational systems. Although clear, this approach is not without problems. A few disadvantages of an ethnocentric staffing mindset are that it can undermine productivity and encourage turnover due to limited promotional opportunities for host nationals. Additionally, parent country nationals can experience communication issues based on their own cultural expectations and perceptions. These attitudes will lead to problems about how to actually get things done in their local areas. Because of this, your leader working in this type of an environment must not only be diverse and inclusive in his or her working style, but they must also be equipped to handle a multitude of cultural differences and know how to effectively lead people who hold differing attitudes to everything they do. The second is host country nationals, who are employees of the local locations where the global company is already operating. These individuals bring a tremendous amount of knowledge regarding customer needs, business practices, language, and how best to manage host country employees. An example of a host country national is a sales representative from France meeting with the parent company in California. Organizations that use this type of staff on overseas assignments are following a polycentric approach. They consider each of its overseas ventures as a unique national entity that possesses autonomy in decision-making. The organization decentralizes on a country-by-country basis, and the individual locations will be responsible for developing their own policies and guidelines. 
A few advantages of polycentric staffing approaches are the organization can remove any expatriate problems, language barriers, and costly business mistakes. Secondly, the employment of host country nationals is less costly than transferring employees and their families overseas. Some disadvantages are that language barriers and cultural differences can create conflicting loyalties on part of the host country staff that eventually widens the gap between them and headquarters and creates barriers to smooth operations. In addition, the parent company must assure that employees in their host locations are abiding by the company's leadership goals of attaining a diverse and inclusive work atmosphere. For example, in some cultures, especially emerging market locations, the country's population may not be as diverse as populations of more developed nations. Hiring in those locations may be limited in terms of diversity, but it does not mean that inclusion should be taken for granted, as there may be many regional differences within the local populations that can place barriers to diversity inclusion, as well as how to get things done. Because of that, organizations will need to work differently with leaders in those areas than with leaders of a parent company or leaders with a third country national. Lastly, third country nationals are employees from a country other than where the organization's headquarters or overseas operations are located. For example, an American employee who is working for a British organization in France is considered a third country national. Organizations that use this type of assignee are following a geocentric staffing approach. These companies attempt to send the right person to the right job anywhere in the world without concern for borders, national culture, or geographical distances. The advantages to this approach are that it allows the organization to develop a highly skilled set of global leaders. It also helps to ensure that the organization's global vision and strategy are accepted in the different locations around the world. Disadvantages include resistance from host country governments in terms of visa restrictions in an effort to preserve jobs for their own citizens. Also, this type of staffing is very expensive because of the various issues related to relocating, training, developing, and providing extra compensation packages to third country national employees and their families, especially for a large organization with a high number of international transfers each year. Developing inclusion for third country nationals requires an almost handheld approach. In this situation, you are working with highly skilled and extremely well-developed global leaders who already know a lot about culture, but may not be aware of how they may hold biases to cultural diversity and inclusion. Work with these leaders will require an in-depth approach coupled with observation. Observing the leader and their surroundings and making adjustments and corrections in real time is better than sitting them down and talking to them about biases and diversity. I once worked with a leader who was having trouble with his female boss. It was only after careful observations on my part and gently pointing out a few things to him was he even ready to trust me enough to share his values on how he viewed women in the workforce. He told me he never gave it any thought. He was unaware how his values and ways of growing up had deeply affected his attitude towards women. This leader didn't need to be told how to work effectively with men. He already felt effective in that area, employing the good old boy air about his relationships with men. But when it came towards women, his persona was completely different and he had no idea how to behave in their presence. 
This leader needed to become aware of how his upbringing was affecting his ideas about gender roles and how his attitude towards others who he perceived as being vastly different than what he perceived as being the norm was impacting his success. Building awareness and allowing this leader to experience his awareness in real time while working on real work-related issues allowed him to experience what he called an eye-opening state of mind. He was amazed at how quickly he was able to make adjustments and keep them going. He was able to transform himself into a more diverse leader who also became inclusive of others during the process. As today's organizations evolve and develop their talent to be more diverse and inclusive, the more they seek to balance out gender inequalities, the more they will need to look at their global staffing approaches in each of their global locations. By going back to that point, they will be able to define what diversity and inclusion, as well as what gender balancing means to each area in which the organization has operations. Many companies are already diverse, Many leaders are already aware of how they may need to work in a diverse atmosphere, but they may not know how to include others. That's because being diverse doesn't automatically make you inclusive. Diversity comes first, inclusion comes second. You can have a diverse workforce and not have inclusion, just as easily as you can have an inclusive working environment without having diversity. Having one doesn't necessarily guarantee the other. In order for organizations to prepare their talent for tomorrow's challenges, they will need to take a deep look at how they are developing their global leaders and make small but meaningful adaptations. They will need to take into account the different areas in which their leaders are working. Whether it be developing markets or not, the organization must look at the different approaches they'll need to employ in each section of the globe in which they operate. At the end of the day, Culture defines how diverse and how inclusive each section of the world is, and your leaders need to be aware of how culture influences that area when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Cultures don't readily change that easily or that quickly. It takes time, and cultural change can be painfully slow. Just as a carpenter measures twice and cuts once, today's organizations may need to take a step back in order to take two forward. 